Good morning and welcome to Bierkegaard, the writings of Soren Kierkegaard. Uh, it's another another Wednesday coming along. Time is flying, man. Time is flying these days. I don't know how you're feeling. Um, I kind of gauge my uh, my life and how fast it's going by an odd metric. I'll explain it here. Uh, I drink this uh, concoction every day called E8. It's my uh, my version of V8. And it's uh, got usually either kale or broccoli. More recently, it's mostly been broccoli. I used to grow kale out back. I've switched my garden around a little bit. Uh, so it's got broccoli in it. It's got hot sauce. It's got ginger. It's got turmeric. It's got vinegar. It's got onions. It's got tomato sauce. It has garlic. It has green tea. Uh, I think that's it. And... Uh, I make a concoction of this. I have a Vitamix, which is like the master blender. It's the blender of all blenders. The mother of all blenders. You can buy them at Costco. They're expensive, but they last a long time. And they're restaurant grade. And they're huge. And they're essentially a lawnmower uh, turned upside down with a blade. And they can pulverize basically anything. And so I make a, I make a, about 12, 12 servings of it at one time it's a big it's a big device a big appliance uh, so I make enough to last about 12 days on these put them in these little mason jars and it seems like I'm making a e8 every other day I don't know time is just whipping by and that's usually a good sign for me time goes real slow when I'm being a, when I'm when I'm under a lot of adversity so I'm appreciative of the fact Time appears to be whipping by like street signs in a fast car, which is cool. Uh, I'm gonna finish up the uh, remaining aspects of the of the of the quotable Kierkegaard here, and uh, I did uh, the first six, I believe, last time. And as promised, I haven't read through these but once, and when I read through them, it was a couple weeks ago, so I don't recall these quotes. Uh, by memory, I'll remember them once I once I turn the page. And if I say I'm going to do something a certain way, uh, and I change my mind, I will tell you. Uh, otherwise, it's the plan that I had indicated that I am going to just read these quotes and give you my thoughts without a whole lot of premonition or preparation. It is what it is. I made some extra strong coffee today. Six teaspoons for about mm, 14 ounces of coffee, and then I'll boil some more water and have a second version of it, a little bit less strong. I make them in a French press. That's my preferred way of making coffee during the week. On the weekends, I do a Kalita pour-over. I'm a coffee snob, for sure. Okay, so I'll just read through the quotes I did last time, last week. Uh, Life can, can be understood backwards. Life can only be understood backwards, but must be lived forwards. That's number one. Number two, there are two ways to be fooled. One is to believe what isn't true. The other is to refi refuse to believe what is true. The function of prayer is not to influence God, but rather to change the nature of the one who prays. Number four, you become what you understand. Uh, number five, it is better to try something and fail than to try nothing and succeed. And people settle for a level, a level of despair they can tolerate, and they call it happiness. And listen to uh, the quotable Kierkegaard 
part one for an explanation of why I decided to do it this way, what my reflections are upon this, uh, upon these quotes, these quotes. Um, the other day I was uh, handling my water bottle, uh, my Pellegrino water bottle. It's a quart. I have three of them. I put in my refrigerator when it's uh, hot outside and I keep cold water at all times. I do it in the winter too now that I think about it, but I drink a lot more water in the summer, of course. I had the bottle on my on my on my counter, and I actually knocked it over, and it fell into my um, Starry Night Van Gogh coffee uh, coffee cup, and it chipped the side of my coffee cup, and really bummed me out. I like this coffee cup. I bought it a couple years ago on a road trip up in Buffalo to see my buddy. Uh, cup's still okay. It's got a crack in it now, though. I don't know. It's like Van Gogh's life, I suppose. A lot of a lot of crackness in that guy's life. A beautiful life, a sad life in a lot of ways. Uh, I think Van Gogh and Soren Soren would have been buddies if they had known each other. Probably would have driven each other crazy though. Okay, so I'm bumming that my my coffee cup has a has a chip in it. It's not really a crack. It, there's a crack on the inside, but it's thick enough that the crack doesn't come to the outside. But the chip uh, the chip is prevalent. It's like a like a hockey player got hit with a hockey puck because the Pellegrino bottle fell over and toppled into this cup. I don't know. It's just kind of like life. I don't know. Life is going to chip you up after a while. It's just the way it is. But it's frustrating being older and knowing things and still doing dumb stuff all the time. It's frustrating because you know better. I know better. Okay, so quote seven. Try to keep this to 21 minutes. This is the way I'm going to do it. Um, apologize for the for the need to blow my nose. Uh, number seven, for without risk there is no faith, and the greater the risk, the greater the faith. For without risk there is no faith, and the greater the risk, the greater the faith. Um, without risk, okay, so you have to have risk. There is no faith. I believe, like, uh, the Christian faith is rational. I believe it's empirical. I believe that it's historical. I believe that as it's portrayed in the Bible is accurate. Uh, but there is a time for faith. There's the three great virtues, faith, hope, and love, that Paul talks about. So faith is necessary. And it's not necessarily assent to the facts. It's like living the facts, uh, especially during persecution or t times it's unpopular to be a Christian. Or to have strong beliefs about anything. Whenever you run contrary to conventional wisdom, and especially if conventional wisdom has a threat attached to it, then if you don't believe there's going to be consequences of a negative nature, like uh, if you uh, had controversial beliefs uh, about Nazism being evil, which it was. I'm reading The Rise and Fall of the Third Reich. I talked about that last time. And, uh, you know, if you took a stand against the Nazis, especially once they were in power, and you had faith that the uh, Nazi system was evil and uh, it deserved to fall and deserved to be toppled, it was going to put you in danger. That's how it operated. The Nazis were either you're for us or against us. There's no middle ground. But there is a place for faith. You have to believe that it matters and that God 
uh, has given us his truth in the Bible, and we can depend on it. And uh, it sounds a lot. It sounds a lot easier to have faith than we really acknowledge. Uh, and Soren would uh, say that if you um, if you have great faith, it requires great risk, and that's true. Just think about any time that you've done something that really required a lot of courage. Um, had a lot of risk inside of it. You had to have faith that you were going to be okay or that you were going to do what you were supposed to do even though the danger existed. So that's a that's an insightful quote from Soren, of course. It's fun when I'm reading his books that I see these quotes embedded in the books they were written in. He didn't he wasn't just a meme maker. Soren wasn't a meme maker or a quote a quote meister. These these quotes are all pulled from his writings, of course. Eight, uh, people demand freedom of speech as a compensation for freedom of thought, which they seldom use. I think that's probably more true now than even during Soren's time. There's a lot of people saying a lot of things, and they haven't really thought about it that carefully. They don't know what they're talking about. They haven't done the hard work of really uh, weighing uh, the, uh, the corporate body of truth that's out there and then coming to a determination through hard hard thinking and discussing and being willing to put their ideas to the test. And I think uh, one of the dangers of social media and this technology, you know, has been it gives people uh, a platform to spout all kinds of stuff, um, to have freedom of speech and to have the access to being able to express their beliefs and their ideas. And uh, But they don't put the hard work behind it. And I've been guilty of that, I suppose. I try to stay away from things that I don't know much about. If I'm going to get in a debate with somebody, I'm going to make sure I'm prepared, uh, like a boxing match, and I make sure I can box if I get into the ring, or if I'm going to do judo or something. It's dumb to step in a ring where you don't know anything about it, and then to make pronouncements, and then get defensive and insulting if people call us on it. And that's just not, that's not, a, it's not fair play. It's punching below the belt. Anybody can insult somebody. That's really easy. I was called Osama a couple a couple weeks ago by somebody for my pro-life stance. And I suppose it's because I'm perceived as being uh, someone who doesn't love women and care about women because I want to tell them what to do with their bodies. And that's not my motivation like the Taliban, you know, to keep them from being educated and to keep them from... Uh, having freedom of choice. I've talked about this before. Women have plenty of choices and men have plenty of choices. Uh, aborting a baby is not a choice to me, though. That's, a, that's, a, that's too far. That's crossed the line. So, um, but I was called Osama, you know, as in the guy that crashed, uh, had devised a plan of planes crashing into buildings and killing millions of people and or thousands of people and then the wars that resulted as, uh, as we took the bait and got into a... Uh, a conflict in the Middle East, Middle East, um, you know, resulting in the death of millions of people, and America's not innocent there, of course. But the guy called me Osama, uh, basically a terrorist, a murderer. And I said, I just thought in my head, well, well, how about I call you Hitler? Uh, because uh, elimination of the unfit, you know, that's what the argument of abortion seems to be to me, is that these children will not have a good life. Uh, their parents feel they're not worthy of life, these children, these unborn children. So that seems to be a Hitler-Nazi type of argument. Better to kill them, better to eliminate them before they're born. So the insult game goes both ways. I don't play it, I think it, but I don't use it a lot of times. Uh, but anybody can be insulting, anybody can be an idiot. 
And I've encountered a lot of it from both left and right. I'm a centrist pretty much with some strong convictions about certain issues. We've talked about that before. Uh, but I'm fairly mainstream in my belief system. And I endure a lot of insults from both sides of the political spectrum. And uh, I see what's empowered people who are on the right because the liberals and the lefties can be just as nasty as the Trumpers and the right-wingers. They, it's, it's the same type of mentality, even though the belief systems are different. It's the same, it's the same techniques. It's the same strategy. So I push back, but I try not to be insulting back. I just try to present the facts. How radical. Okay, number eight. My honest opinion and my friendly advice is this. Do it or not do it. You will regret both. Uh, so this is Soren basically saying the life will always vex you. Nothing is a free ride. Everything requires a ticket. Uh, so if it's a free ride, somebody's already paid for it. And there's always going to be consequences. There's always going to be cost. Um, and you'll re have regrets for both uh, both sides. Often when we've made a decision that had a, a negative piece to it or was a negative consequence, we start imagining what have, would have happened if we had done something else. Without really uh, understanding what the consequences and the negative and the regret would have been of that other choice or those other choices. Uh, so life has, has always that element in it. Uh, that we can we can make other choices, and sometimes there's just dumb choices. We know that drink too much, not wear a seatbelt, uh, get behind the wheel of a car, get in an accident, hurt somebody, kill somebody. I mean, you should have regrets about that. There are better choices to be made. Don't don't drink as much, don't drive, wear your seatbelt, etc., 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 etc. But I think Soren is correct to point out that we will always have regret about our decisions because everything has a cost. Everything's going to have a cost. Uh, true enough. Okay, number 10. I have uh, found I uh, had less and less to say until finally I became silent and began to listen. I discovered in silence the voice of God. Now that may be from uh, the lily of the field and the bird of the air. I don't recall that quote specifically, but we already did that book. Um, I'm still working through purity of heart. Purity of heart is to will one thing. About halfway through it, I've gone back and reread the first half, rereading the first half, not quite through the uh, first half for the second time, uh, making uh, copious notes. So the upcoming podcast, I think I'll probably dedicate each podcast to one specific chapter and try to get through the chapter in one, one podcast there. So Soren says, we have to get to a point where we come to the end of ourselves and we listen. It's okay to obviously express ourselves and to pour out our hearts to God, both in praise and in struggle. The, the Psalms are a good example of, of the psalmist, uh, mostly David's writings, but others too, Asaph and others. Uh, they have a lot to say that it's really jubilant and joyful and uplifting. And there's also things that are very, it's very hard to read. It's a lament and sorrow and sadness. And I'm working through the book of Isaiah kind of not every day, but reading through the chapters of Isaiah. And uh, it's the story of the, of the uh, nation of Judah going into exile. Um, you know, we tend to think that the Bible is a book that doesn't deal with reality. Well, it talks about people being slaughtered. It talks about people being taken captive in war and taken to strange lands. 
So at least God is on us. He doesn't hide what could happen, what has happened in the past. We shouldn't be surprised when trials and troubles come. It's happened to people since the beginning of time. So you have to be silent. You have to begin to listen. And I discovered in silence the voice of God. And uh, it's good to like read a scripture verse or to uh, listen to a sermon or uh, talk to somebody and then take some time away and just really uh, ponder what you've heard and then to really kind of clear the clear the uh, clear the mind and let God speak into that. The most common form of despair is not being who you are. Number eleven. If you try to be what you think other people want you to be, you will become something they don't want you to be, and you'll become something you don't want to be. That is uh, a fact. It happens a lot when we're younger. We try to adjust who we are and what we are in order to please the crowd or to please a person that we want to impress. And all that happens is we're inauthentic. If it works, we will find out that it's not really us and it's not really them that we've engaged but some former version of ourselves and that happens a lot online of course where people present their best self and their best life and then some people go too far the other way they put up things that are distressing and disturbing so there's a balance there you have to be careful Uh, i'm not saying people shouldn't talk about things that are going bad in their life but if you're appealing online to that and you're putting it out there uh, there are boundary issues you have to be careful not everybody loves you. Not everybody's going to want to help you. And it also puts people in an awkward position because they're not always sure how to interact with somebody who's going through a hard time online. Now, it's okay to offer support and all that, but you know the kind of person I'm talking about. Puts up too much and too much and too often. Uh, and it's often a form of selfishness that they think they're suffering more than others. And maybe they are, but maybe they aren't. But the most common form of despair is not being who you are. I would say, uh, you know, lay your cards on the table with people. Be cautious initially, but don't hide who you are and what you believe. And you will attract the kind of people that you should attract. It may not be the same quantity, but your quality will really go up. And I learned in my life and through my life that it's better to have quality friends than quantity friends. Uh, Quantity friends come and go. Uh, acquaintances more like and then quality sticks around and I have some friends that I've known for a very very long time and I'm making more of an effort to get together with them now that COVID seems to be in a bit of a lull maybe it's coming back with a vengeance in the fall but I've reconnected in person with a lot of people and it's almost like is this person real you know I've kind of interacted with them online but now they're here in front of me and it's really beautiful and it's really fun just to sit down and and talk and uh, the conversation kind of goes in a different way than it would if it was online or an interaction with comments online through Facebook or Instagram or whatever. I'm actually getting together on uh, Friday evening up in Lemoyne at a cigar shop. Uh, I'm going to bring a little bourbon. Uh, I'm going to hit the Korea Licious beforehand. There's a Korean restaurant up here in central Pennsylvania. There's not a ton of credible Asian stuff, but there's some good restaurants here and there. You have to travel for them often there's good vietnamese because there's a lot of vietnamese people here from after the war but um, things like thai or sushi or korean or whatever you have to travel because this is not a hot spot for that kind of food and we're going to get together but i've known this kid since or kid i knew him as a kid he knew me as a kid back when uh we were in eighth grade i might have even even known him in seventh grade but i know for sure that i knew him in eighth grade because we played basketball together on the junior high basketball team. Yes, we did. So I'm going to get together with him Friday night. So that's really cool. But he's my oldest friend. And uh, that goes back over, man. I want to think how far back it goes. Maybe um, half a century, 50 years. 
not quite, 45, I guess. Uh, but we went to college together, too. So we went to high school, junior high, high school and college together. Even though we weren't the best of buds, we were always friends. And uh, we've come probably closer as we've gotten older because we're both kind of uh, old and wizened and taking our hits in life, you know. We both like cigars and both like bourbon. All right, number 12. The most painful state is remembering the future, particularly the one you'll never have. I've dealt with this before at school. Or <coughs> kids would tell me, well, I never knew my dad, so I never really missed him. I had to tell him, well, you can miss what you've never had before. Um, you may not know exactly what that would have felt like, but you can miss stuff that you'll never have. So the most painful state of being is remembering the future, particularly the one you'll never have. And this probably refers to... Um, to some extent, uh, Soren's relationship with Regina, uh, his fiance that he broke up with, um, even though he was the one that broke up the, uh, the marriage proposal, uh, it was clear for the rest of his life that he still struggled with it and still had regrets about it. Sometimes you make decisions, they may have been the right decisions, but they're still painful. So Soren may be in his more lonely times, uh, envisioned a happy home life with his wife and kids and sitting around the fire telling stories. Uh, but that wasn't the path he decided to take. Uh, number 13, love is all. It gives all and takes all. This is uh, kind of gets to what the book is about. The purity of heart is the will one thing, which is the good. Uh, but the good is another word for love. Uh, love will always bring the good. It may not look like good initially, but it is the good. Love is all, it gives all and takes all. So to have purity of heart to will one thing, to get to this book a little bit, is to not be double-minded. And if you're a loving person, you will fulfill the law. As Paul says, you will do what is right. You don't need to uh, be held accountable by the police in order to love your neighbor. That's something that you make a decision. And I think a lot of times in our society, this is just human nature. We're seeing law as the answer to the problems of the human heart. And uh, ultimately, the solution to the evil of mankind is love. It's not law. Law, at best, is a barrier. It's a restriction. It's a, it's a fence of sorts to keep people from trespassing the rights of other people. But it's not love, necessarily. It could be. Uh, love, love could have a manifestation of law and vice versa. But ultimately, you will not do bad things to your neighbor if you love your neighbor. That was number 13. Number 14, our life uh, always expresses the result of our dominant thoughts. Uh, like it or not, the things that we prioritize, we will, it will rise to the top. Uh, whether it's money or status or pleasure or power. People may say they believe other things, but what they do is ultimately the test it's the fruit of someone's life and if you want to see where people's priorities are look at how they spend their time look at their calendar look at their credit card statements that's what they really that's what they really value that's what they really value number 14 our life always expresses the result of our dominant thoughts number 15 a man prayed and at first he thought that prayer was uh, talking but he became more and more quiet until, in the end, he realized prayer is listening. I would just add that prayer is also listening. Uh, I wouldn't say entirely that it's silence or listening. Uh, it's a communication. The relationship with God is a relationship, as I said, and uh, that requ requires communication. But I would say it's true 
that we don't listen enough. We should listen more. That's just not true about our prayer life. It's about our relationships in general. All right. So that's uh, those are the uh, 15 quotes there. The quotable Kierkegaard, part one, part two. And this is how philosophy calls summarized it all. Number one, thoughts. Accept who you, who you, who you are. Number two, risk. Take the leap of faith. Number three, willpower. Fight through events. Life changes with time. Nothing ever remains the same. Master your mind. Master your life. There you go. Philosophy call. The link to those quotes are in the previous podcast. We will see you next Wednesday.